Now, um, we've got a guest speaking with us and for us this morning, so I'm going to invite Chris uh, Kandai to come and join me. Uh, Chris, you're very welcome. Thank you, Joe. Um, all right, now, I've known you for um, about 24 years now, I think, um, which is exciting for me. Um, why don't you give us just, and you've done quite a lot of different things in those years. Sure. Why don't you just give people a feel for just some of the different things you've been involved with over that time? Brilliant. Well, good morning, everybody. Or is, is it good afternoon? No, it's still good morning. Is, is it a good morning? Yeah, you, you're good. Okay, just checking. Um, so, so one of my most important roles in life is to be your brother-in-law, John, <laughs> and uh, your wife is my wife's sister, uh, so it's great to have nephews in uh, our family. Uh, but when I'm not being an uncle uh, or a brother-in-law, uh, I have a few roles that I play. I, I used to lead a fostering and adoption charity called Home for Good, and then felt the call to go and serve the government. Uh, I lead a board that tries to bring innovation and adoption and special guardianship. That's if you're living with your probably your auntie or uncle or your grandparents. Um, but I'm also really involved now with Afghan resettlement. And uh, there's some good news about what your church has been doing. So looking forward to speaking about that. Yes, and add to that missionary, pastor, lecturer, all kinds of different things. Um, what are some of the things that are uh, really just uh, energising you right now? Well, that is a really good good question. Thank you. It allows me to talk about this, <laughs> uh, which is a new book that my wife and I wrote. Uh, it's called Whistle Stop Tales Around the World in 10 Bible Stories. It's aimed for children aged 8 to 12. If you're 7, if you're really good, you could qualify to read this book as well. Um, and it's for mums and dads and carers as well. The, the vision behind the book was that when I was growing up, for some reason, my mental picture of everyone in the Bible was that they were white, that they didn't look like me. And um, that was probably because every stained glass window I ever looked through had a white person at the centre of it. Um, and every time I went to see a movie about someone in the Bible, they were white too. Did you know Moses wasn't an American? <laughs> Charlton Heston doesn't look like Moses probably did. Moses was Jewish and he had brown skin. And so what we did is we decided to celebrate all the international diversity that we could find in the Bible. So here, ready for a little quiz? Okay, who am I describing? Uh, This is chapter one, might give you a clue, might be someone in the book of Genesis. The tale of the intrepid Iraqi who had a lot, clue, to lose. Who could it be? Abraham. Abraham was an Iraqi. How about this one? Uh, The tale of the extraordinary Egyptian who chose to go against the flow. Thinking about the book of Exodus, who was a good person who was Egyptian? Oh, who is it? Pharaoh's daughter. Spot on. Uh, Possibly the first adopted mum in the Bible. Uh, How about this one? Last one. The tale of the giant-hearted Jordanian who went the extra mile. Yeah. It is Ruth. I think that deserves a round of applause. Have you read ahead? Is that what it is? So, brilliant. Top marks to you. So this this book's designed to kind of help all the children and all the mums and dads and carers uh, to know that God's love is for everybody. And I've heard somewhere, I can't remember where, uh, 69 days till Christmas. So might be a good time to start having a look at that. But we've been really encouraged that it's helping lots of people know that God's love is bigger than they might have imagined. Chris, thanks so much. And how can we be praying uh, for you and some of the projects you're involved in? Well, that's, that's a really good, good question. Um, 
when I left my charity, and, and it, it's, it's painful leaving something that you started, and it's, it, it's great seeing it kind of go on and, and, and go on without you, but when I left my charity, um, I left a full-time job to work one day a week with the government. That left me four extra days. And what, what would I do with it? And then God opened up some incredible opportunities to help people from Hong Kong uh, feel welcome in the UK, and then people from Afghanistan to feel welcome in the UK. And it's gone really well. Uh, but if, if you know what that's like, uh, it's really difficult to make good decisions when everything's going well, when there's so many opportunities to do good, share God's love. So we'd really appreciate as a family just some wisdom and guidance about choosing what's best from what's good. Do you, do you ever have that problem? So many things we could be doing in the world, we could really use some guidance about pursuing what's best rather than what's good because it's very, very busy right now. So um, we'd, we'd really appreciate that. We'll do that, Chris. And um, a little while back when uh, the Afghanistan uh, crisis was in the news, uh, we invited people from church, if they wanted to, uh, to give to support Afghan refugees. Uh, and um, we said we would match fund uh, whatever people chose to get chose to give and so i think now we people from the church family have given six thousand with the match funding six thousand seven hundred and twenty two pounds and forty pence yes i think that deserves a round of applause you guys are amazing um uh, and that will help buy clothes and all kinds of things won't it now it will. you wanted to say a thank you i for do that and you've got a, a big banner that you want us to get yeah so, um chris you're going to take a photo of the church congregation i'll give you a a, a kind of one we did earlier. Could you put that on the screen? We're going to try and take this picture, but you need to look even happier than the first service. I mean, to be fair, they'd only just woken up, right? So your job in this photo is to look even happier than the first service. And, and have you got a steward to help us? Yeah, I'll, I'll grab that. And just a quick word, if uh, for whatever reason you don't want a, a picture of you or your kids to go online, we think we know who you are, but please come and find me after the service and we'll make sure we uh, don't do that. Yeah. Good, good, good. All right, so when, when that photo comes up here, sorry, when the banner comes up here, uh, ideally we'd like you to smile, stand up. Um, I'll give you a clue because uh, we make a little video as well so you can wave. There are two reasons we're making this. One is to say thank you to you and celebrate. The second, and it's a very biblical reason, um, if you read the book of Corinthians, Paul is trying to encourage the Corinthian believers to be generous. And he does it by saying, hey, you Corinthians are good, but have you heard about the Macedonians? They're awesome. <laughs> so I'm trying to encourage other churches to follow your example, okay? So what you guys have done is, is Macedonian in quality, just so you know. <laughs> and um, 6,000 is the largest gift we've had from a single church. Uh, we've had, had, we have had some individual donors that have given a bit more, but as a church, you are top of the leaderboard, Okay. <laughs> So um, we're going to take that photo. If you don't want to be in the photo, hide away. But if the rest of you could stand up, that would be brilliant. And you need to get your face... Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Just keep it nice and straight, John. I'm really... You ready? Good, good. All right. All right, smart. You ready to smile? Is that you smiling? Try, try a bit harder. Okay, good, good. All right, now let's try a video. This time you're going to wave and smile. That's two things at the same time. I, th I think you can manage. Ready? On three... One, two, three. Oh, you might want to say welcome too. Go on. Awesome. Thank you very much. Brilliant stuff. Really appreciate it. Chris, thanks so much. We're looking forward to hearing more from you in a minute. But we're going to have the Bible uh, read to us now. Uh, so Kaz is going to come and read that for us. Thanks, Kaz. Good morning. We're in uh, Luke chapter 10. 
If you've got Church Bible, it's on page 1041. Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 25. The parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. And this is God's word. It's fantastic to be with you this morning. And thank you again for what this church is doing, uh, not just to support Afghans, uh, but I love hearing the stories of how you're serving the community here, showing the love of God in very practical ways. And it's just just wonderful. Um, I, I have some connections, obviously, through uh, my brother-in-law. Have I named dropped that enough? Uh, it's fantastic to see John just flourishing here in the church with Lois and the boys. Um, but I, I'm doing a, a, a radio program tomorrow, and uh, that is because of Graham. Do you know, you know Graham? He, he, he's known in the wider world as Golden Graham. Do, do you call that to him here as well? You should do. Um, I, so, well, in its heyday, we're talking about nine million people would listen into a little radio program that Zoe Ball uh, presents. And because of Graham's work, I get sort of two and a half minutes tomorrow morning to share about the love of God. Um, I'm going to talk about adoption and how we've been adopted into God's family. And uh, it's National Adoption Week. That kicks off tomorrow. So that's my little opportunity. Um, but, you know, Graham's doing fantastic work here, amazing, um, but he's opened doors for people like me to share a little bit of Jesus' love to a, a very different kind of audience. So thank you. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for what you've been doing through the years and excited to see how you're going to bless uh, this community as well. Now, remember I was in that kind of weird moment. Maybe you've uh, experienced it. You're not quite sure what the next phase of your life is going to look like and you're leaving behind something and you're starting something new. That was me uh, in December, leaving home for good, and then what am I going to do? And, and the first thing that came along, as I mentioned, was Hong Kong. The UK government has said that we, as a nation, should expect to receive 150,000 people from Hong Kong 
to come to the UK this year alone. That started in the 31st of January 2021, and um, you know that 150,000 are expected to come before the 31st of January 2022. And that's not the end of it. Um, we're expecting probably around 500,000 to come uh, over the next three to four years. And uh, if you're good at demographics and migration, uh, you'll realise that is the largest planned migration to the UK from outside of Europe in a generation. The previous largest one uh, was the Windrush generation. Now, when you hear the word Windrush, how do you feel? I don't know about you, it sends a shiver down my spine because 50 years ago, the UK said uh, to many people in the Caribbean, come, come here, help us rebuild our economy. We'll look after you, we'll, we'll treat you well. Sadly, if you know anything about that story, we, we didn't. Um, they call it the Windrush Scandal. Because we as a nation did not offer appropriate hospitality, justice or kindness to that group of people coming. Uh, maybe some of you uh, have ancestry that relates back to that time. For me, what's even harder is that we the church, and I mean we with a capital W, not just one denomination, but we the church across the nation did not show Christian hospitality to other Christians that had come from around the world here. So many of my friends and their parents tell me that when they turned up at church, and many of them were coming to the same denomination they were part of in the Caribbean, when they came here to what many considered the mothership of, the, of their denomination, they were treated pretty terribly. And not just the usual. You know, so a newcomer to the church who sits, who dares to sit in the wrong seat. You know, um, I don't know if you know that, but that is my seat. I've kind of reserved it three generations back and you can't sit here. Not just that, but at the end of the service, a church leader coming up to them and said, it's lovely that you've come to our church, but, but you being here is making other members of the congregation uncomfortable. I, I think it would be better for you and for us if you worship God down the road with people like you. Can you imagine being treated like that? Imagine that the church misunderstanding what the gospel's about, what God's love is about to the extent that we pushed people out of our churches. And some of the origin story of what some people describe as the African and black majority churches is that we push people out of our churches and made them go down the road with people like them. So when I heard that 150,000 people coming from Hong Kong, and this is the largest planned migration from outside of Europe to the UK since Windrush, I said we need to do better than that as a nation and as a church. And let me tell you something really exciting. We did. We did. The church was the first to offer that welcome. Uh, in, in the course of a few months, churches from all sorts of denominations, you know, FIEC, Anglican, Vineyard, you name it, said we're going to be Hong Kong ready. And around now, I think it's 600 churches across the UK, like yours, have put their, their, their church on a map to say, if you're from Hong Kong, there's a warm welcome to you here amongst us. We'll flex to make sure that you feel that you're going to find friends and brothers and sisters here if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, we want to offer you neighbourly help and support because it's tough moving continents in the middle of a pandemic. And so we want to be here to help you. And it's been fabulous. 
two quick stories. So one is, I keep getting these uh, interview requests from the Hong Kong media, both those that are kind of pro the Hong Kong government and those that are challenging the Hong Kong government. And they all want to say, why is the church doing so much to help Hong Kongers? And I think, oh, that's quite simple. You see, Christians believe that we were offered hospitality in the household of God. God wanted to welcome us into his family. And therefore, we want to pass on that hospitality to anyone that's in need. I tell you, that's a pretty good headline, isn't it? I love it when the church is on the front page of the newspaper for talking about the gospel. Isn't that great? When we've got good news to share to a world that is divided and polarised, that we are all about sharing the grace, great name for a church, the grace of God to those that need it. That's what I love. I love it when they know what we're for, not just what we're against. Are you with me? Let me tell you another very, very small story. So I I was speaking at another church last week in Southampton. It's part of the New Frontiers kind of uh, family of churches. And in between services, they have two services just like you. And uh, yes, we did sell out of all the books. That was fantastic. But (laughs) in between the two services, this lady comes up to me and she's in tears. And um, she was from Hong Kong. And she said, 30 years ago, I gave up on Jesus. I didn't think I needed him. But because of the welcome that this church has given me, I've come back to God and I'm praying that my husband would too. Isn't that beautiful? Hospitality, showing love and kindness to people in need, is an incredible bridge for people to discover the grace and wonder of God. It's amazing. Maybe that was your experience. Maybe that's why you're part of this church. Because this church has been showing grace and kindness in the community to all sorts of people with all sorts of needs. And we're one family here, aren't we? Independent of our economic status or our our ethnicity, we're one family because the love of God welcomes us all. That's beautiful. And you know what? This isn't just a savvy political move uh, or an interesting kind of pragmatic approach to mission. This is at the very heart of our scriptures. And so if you've got a Bible, feel free to switch it on now. Um, or just use the little service sheet. If I'm, that's what I'm going to use. You are using the New International Version of the Bible, which is my favourite, so well done. And um, we're going to read from Luke chapter 10, verse 25. And um, if you need a little map of where we're going, because some of you like a bit of structure, uh, we're going to have it on the screen now. Here we go. Uh, here are my three points. And you could just write this down and fall asleep if, you're, if you need some catch-up. Uh, we're going to talk about why the love of God... Uh, cannot be earned, will not be constrained, and must be shared. You hear that? The love of God cannot be earned, will not be constrained, and must be shared. There you go. You can switch off for the rest of the time if you need to. There we go. Verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. You know this is not going to end well, don't you? Like Some, some trumped-up academic thinks he's going to take on God stood up to test Jesus. Oh, the arrogance. Anyway, bear, bear with me. Jesus is a lot more patient than I would have been. But he says this, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was an expert. Maybe he's got a doctorate in Old Testament theology. And he's misunderstood the very heart of God. He's asking the wrong question, isn't he? What must I do to inherit eternal life. I don't know, any of you are are old like me, 
and maybe you've got nephews and nieces or maybe even grandchildren, imagine one of them comes up to you and says, Auntie, Uncle, Grandma, Grandad, when you pop your clogs, how can I make sure that I'm in your will? Like, how many visits is it going to take? You know, how many cookies am I going to have to bake? You know, how many um, you know, Christmas cards are you going to need? What must I do to inherit something from your will? I don't know about you. That relative has just written themselves out of my will. <laughs> They've misunderstood the nature of inheritance, haven't they? Inheritance is a gift. You give it because you want to pass on love and kindness, not because someone's earned it. Many people, not just this expert in the law, think that God is some kind of massive accountant in the sky. And and, and he's doing some kind of deal with you. Like, if you can top up enough good things, enough Bible studies, enough turning up at church, sing enough choruses, I think most people are aiming at 100,000 choruses in their lifetime, then you'll somehow earn your way into God's kingdom. Oh my goodness, you've missed it. This expert in the law has misunderstood the very grace of God. And it's not an Old Testament, New Testament thing. It's all the way through the Bible. God is a God of grace. He gives you love and mercy, not because you've earned it, but because he's kind and gracious. God's love cannot be earned. I would have thrown this um, upstart out of the conversation, but Jesus is so gracious. He, He allows this man to go on a journey. So what does he say? Verse 26, what is written in the law? How do you read it? I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus often answers a question with a question. And he undermines the logic of this man's thought. And he does it very graciously. But look, to be fair to this guy, he is a top-class academic. Because his answer gets an A star from Jesus. Have a look. This man says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Now hang on, this man has just summarised 630 Old Testament laws in two sentences. I don't know if any of you are revising for GCSEs or A-levels or AS-levels right now, but if I could summarise your entire biology curriculum in two sentences, I think you'd be pleased with me. Jesus summarises the whole of the Old Testament law by saying you've just got to get two things right. Love the Lord your God with everything that's in you, all your heart, soul and mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. That summarises everything. Not just the Ten Commandments, but all the other ones too. This is a brilliant answer. The problem is, it's not enough just to have the right answers. Entry into the kingdom of God is not based on a, a, a theological test. Entry into the kingdom of God is based on whether you've received the grace of God and whether you're passing it on to others. That's the test. If you're not sure, Matthew 25, footnote, parable of the sheep and the goats, go there. This is where Jesus is going to go today. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. If you want to earn your way into God's kingdom, here's what you need to do. You need to fully love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. I don't think anyone on the planet apart from Jesus has ever lived like that. And therefore, if you're going to try and earn your way in, you're always going to fail. But this expert in the law is not happy with just the A star he gets for Jesus from his two-sentence answer. He wants to look even better, did you see? But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is 
my neighbour. This guy's asked one wrong question, now he asks another one. The whole mindset behind asking the question of who is my neighbour is basically asking, who do I need to love? Who's in and who's out? Who is is worthy of receiving my love and support and who isn't? As if there's some kind of boundary. That thought is one of the outworkings of, of what I should have been talking about today, which is the fall. When human beings rebelled against God, we started dividing the world into the ins and the outs about who's with us and who's against us. And that's to miss the very nature of the grace of God. Let me give you a for instance. When I grew up, the most famous verse in the Bible I was told to memorise, I thought it went a little bit like this. For God so loved middle-class white people from nice families. That's not how the verse goes, though, is it? Do you know it? For God so loved the world. Every single person on this planet is loved by God. Is that a fair conclusion from that statement? For God so loved the world. Every single person, irrespective of their age, their abilities, their ethnicity, their economic status, their faith, God doesn't just love God. Christians? Is that fair? Right? What about their sexuality? What about their gender? God loves the world. Every single person on this planet is loved by God. That doesn't mean that every single person on this planet has loved God appropriately. That's the whole point of this parable. But God's position, his desire, his passion is for everyone in the world to receive his love. So This guy is saying, well, who do I need to love? Well, the question is, well, who does God love? God loves everybody, so you can't go drawing boundaries. Oh, I'm just going to love Christians because that's my most important priority. Sorry, no, God loves the world. You need to love the world. Oh, I'm just going to love people who look like me, who who I feel comfortable with. Sorry, no, God loves the world. We need to love the world. I'm just going to love people that are far away, that I can chuck money at them. No, sorry. Your neighbour might be someone down your street that needs your love and attention. Or you might do it the other way around. I'm just going to help people that are in my geographical area. Sorry, God loves the world. We need to love the world. Is that that fair? And Jesus underlines this by telling this most powerful of parables. And it's going to get a bit awkward because he's going to blow up some of our, I suppose, assumptions about what love looks like. Have a look with me. Um, In reply, see when Jesus isn't answering a question with a question, he often answers with a story and he's brilliant at it and we need to be better at storytelling because Jesus was the master. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. I think we're supposed to assume this is a Jewish man. We're not told anything about his ethnicity, so you're supposed to assume he's a Jewish man. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. This man is having a terrible day. And we're going to get a three-part story, a little bit like the ones I used to tell when I was at school. Do you remember those ones about uh, the Englishman, the Scotsman and the Irishman? And it was always the Irishman that got the worst bit of the joke. I I apologise on behalf of my youth and the the youth of today that are still telling bad jokes about Irish people. It's not fair. So 
I think most people are expecting a three-part story because the first person that walks down is a priest. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. Good for him. This priest is already winning, right? He, he's not one of those priests that's only interested in theological things. He's got his eyes open. He sees a man by the side of the road. Brilliant. We're on to a winner. Except we're not. This priest thinks that his responsibility is to worship God in a temple. And therefore, I don't really need to get involved with this guy. I'm, maybe I'm off duty. He's going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. Maybe he's been in the temple and he's finished his work there and so he's going home. Well, this guy is not a hero in this story, is he? Jesus doesn't hold up the priest as a good model of what it's like to be a Christian disciple. Some people do. Some people tell me, Chris, all this stuff you're doing, helping Afghans and Hong Kongers and, and you know, fostering an adoption, isn't that a distraction from the gospel? What we really ought to be doing is just preaching at people. If that was true, then the hero of this story is the priest because he's focused on God's work, not getting his hands dirty, helping people. But the priest is not the hero of the story. You could say he's a villain in this story, isn't he? Because he ignores his calling to love his neighbour. Even the Old Testament was clear about that. And Jesus is underlying, underlining it in the New Testament. Okay, so things are not going well. The priest walks by on the other side of the road. Verse 32, so to a Levite. Now, a Levite is someone who can genealogically um, trace their ancestry back to Levi, one of Joseph's brothers, right? And Levites had a specific role in the temple. One of the key roles they had to do was to sing psalms. So if you like, the priest was like the vicar or the church leader and maybe the Levite was a little bit like the worship leader. So I don't know. I don't know whether he was singing to himself. Maybe he was singing another chorus another 100,000 times. Uh, You guys didn't. You were great. Fantastic. Good job. Um, So to a Levite, when he came to the place and he saw him, what did he do? He passed by on the other side of the road. Some people separate the worship of God and the practice of hospitality and kindness, that you're supposed to just sing. But look, the most clearest verse in the Bible on this is this, James 1.27. Do you know it? Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to sing choruses and listen to preaching. Is that right? It's how some people define the church. The right preaching of the word and the right administration of the sacraments. Again, if that were true, the Levite and the priest would be heroes here because I'm pretty sure they did the right sacraments and they did the right preaching, but they didn't do the right practice. James 1.27 says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and blameless is to care for widows and orphans in their distress. Oh my goodness. It's almost like the Old Testament got it right. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbour as yourself. You with me? God hasn't changed his mind. Those are still his priorities for his people. If you are not loving your neighbour, you're not loving God. The two are connected. It's a package deal. I used to live in Albania. When we lived in Albania, one of my neighbours had a sign outside their house. It said this, love me, love my dog. It was a package deal. You couldn't love this guy and not interact with his dog. Some of you feel the same way about your animals in your house. God has a package deal. Love me, love your neighbour. You don't get to choose. It's not an option. Well, you know, I'm into the love God bit. I don't like the neighbour bit. 
That's for other people who are kind of into justice and compassion. Sorry, no. Love me, love your neighbour. They're together. C.S. Lewis once said that another person is the holiest object you're ever going to encounter. That's because everybody's made in the image of God. How you treat your neighbour is an indicator of how you feel about the God that they image. Do you see that? So what does neighbour love looks like? look like? Well, a Samaritan comes down the road. I think most people are going, oh my goodness, as if this man hasn't had a tough day already. He's been beaten up and left for dead by the side of the road. And now a Samaritan's come. In the ancient world, uh, particularly amongst Jewish people, because of the ethnic divide between Jews and Samaritans, because of the Jewish nation um, separating into two tribes, you know, the north and the southern kingdom, and the north kingdom was kind of Samaria, and the Samaritans intermarried with other races. They were seen to be a mixed race. Some might say half-caste, which is a horrible term used about my mum when she was growing up. But that was the mindset. It was a racist mindset. And they thought Samaritans were somehow second class. We as a nation often treat people as second class because of their ethnicity. We've seen that with the Windrush scandal. It's ongoing in how we often treat people from Roma and sometimes described as gypsy backgrounds, don't we? As if they're second class. And in the ancient world, in, Jewish, in the Jewish culture, that's how the Samaritans were seen. And so people are going, oh my goodness, as if this man hasn't had a tough day, a Samaritan's going to come. Maybe he's going to kick him while he's down on the ground. The only good Samaritan is a dead Samaritan. But guess what? Jesus blows up that racist, xenophobic mindset and makes the Samaritan, not the priest and the Levite, the hero. Look what he says. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was and he saw him. He took pity on him. He's moved with compassion on him. He's got the wrong theologies from the wrong race and yet he's still setting the standard for what love looks like. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. I mean, this is ridiculous love, isn't it? Complete stranger, wrong race, helps the man, takes him down to the inn and then leaves his credit card on the tab, whatever this guy does. And he didn't say, well, we need to check his ethnicity. What's his border status? Has he got immigration rights here? Does he love Jesus? None of those questions. This is a person in need, and therefore I'm going to provide whatever's necessary. Jesus says that's the standard. You can see why none of us have met it. And none of us can ever earn our way into God's kingdom, because none of us have loved like that. But having received the grace and mercy of God, we now want to. We're transformed. Freely have we received from God. Now freely will we pass it on to others, whatever their background. I tell you, friends, it's one of the most incredible privileges to be caught up in what I describe as the cascade of grace. God has poured grace into your life, and so you want to pass it on. In fact, you can't help yourself. The love of God constrains us. We, we have to pass that love on. And when you do, you're caught up in something fabulous. You're caught up in the very heart of God itself. Let me tell you two quick stories and then we'll, we'll close. I want to show you a picture. Oh, this was a little festival that a church in Sutton did. If you fancy doing the same, they've set the standard on a welcome festival for newcomers to the town of Sutton. 
100, well, about 250 Hong Kongers turned up at this event. And again, we got onto the front page of some of the Hong Kong dailies. And again, the church at the front of that welcome. But here we go. This is a world, break, world record-breaking picture. This is the most number of people that have ever been in the back of a cargo plane. They weren't doing it to get into the Guinness World Book of Records. They were doing it because they were fleeing the Taliban. Most of these people are either relatives of or actual workers for the British government or the American government. And so we've, we've rescued them. And they don't have a lot of luggage, as you might be able to see. Not everybody left in this way. Some made it onto commercial flights, but still luggage space was a real challenge. And about 13,000 have turned up in the UK. And because we don't have enough housing, they're currently in temporary accommodation. A lot in hotels, but not the kind of hotels that you and I would like to stay in. You know, a family of eight spread across five rooms. Just terrible for child protection and family building. And they've all got all sorts of trauma. So the church has responded brilliantly. And again, you've been generous already with your gift. Um, But around 700 churches have stepped up to say we want to help. They're wrapping around various hotels around the country, offering practical support. We're going to talk to the Afghans, find out what they need. Number one priority they have at the moment is clothes for their children for winter because they didn't bring any with them. And some of them are getting a little bit of benefit, but it's not enough to clothe their their kids. And some haven't got anything yet because there's a bit of administrative challenge. And so churches around the country have been getting involved in some of the money you're going to give or you've given today is going to help with that. So, oh, oh, just so you know, I'm going to tell you this story in a minute. I'll come back to that one. But if you haven't already given and you would like to and you don't want to miss the boat, you can do that right now by getting your phone out. Go on, it's all right to get your phone out in church as long as it's on silent, I hear. Um, And you put it on camera and then you just point it at that thing and it will take you to a website, and you can be part of that. I tell you, what's lovely is the church across the UK is in more hotels than the Red Crosses, because the church is constrained by the love of God to pass on kindness to people in need. It's fabulous. One of the churches that we were working with uh, asked their congregation, who could step forward to offer help? and support to Afghans in a hotel. And they put out a cry for volunteers. And um, guess what? Half of the volunteers that came forward were from Hong Kong. Don't you just love that? This is in the Times, okay? Our Times, the UK Times, not the Times of Hong Kong. This is in the UK Times. And, and the journalist couldn't get his head around it. He's going, what? They've only just arrived it. Yes, their argument We have received such a warm welcome from the church. We wanted to pass that on to Afghans. Isn't that beautiful? The grace we've received from God, we now want to pass on to others. It's absolutely fabulous. I'm going to close in a minute, but there's one last thing you might want to do. Someone suggested I do this uh, in the previous service. I thought it was quite a good idea. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. (laughs) Were you having deja vu? We've, We've been to those slides before. All right, some of you are professionally involved in things like housing. And um, housing is a big issue I'm trying to solve. If you're professionally involved with housing, this is my LinkedIn. And again, you can take a picture of it and then find me on LinkedIn. Some of you are professionally involved in clothing. At the moment, we have to go to Asda and we buy 
all their clothes for Afghan children. That is a really inefficient way of doing things. If you have a professional connection in the world of clothing, please get in touch because I've got to do it better than that. At least get a deal so that we can get more clothes to more Afghan children. Some of you are professionally involved in communication. We're just making random videos on my phone. You've got some skills that you want to add to this. We'd love to hear from you. If you think you've got a professional connection that connects with me, take a picture of that or use your phone again and find me. But let's come to a close now. And I wonder if you're able to stand. Could you stand with me? I'm going to try and lead us in a prayer and then I'll hand back to John. The love of God cannot be earned. We've been clear on that. It's by grace alone that you are welcomed into the family of God. The love of God cannot be constrained. There might be people that you have not seen. They could be in your school. They could be children that that you've walked past because they're not in the in-group or they're from a, a particular background. In many schools... It's children that are looked after, that are living with foster parents. They're they're ignored by the other kids. They're ostracised. It could be children from a different ethnic group. They're ignored and walk past. Maybe you, as as an agent for Jesus at school, maybe God's calling you to be the manifestation of the love of God for those kids. Or parents. Are there people that you haven't invited into your house? Maybe there are playdates you haven't arranged because they're the wrong kinds of kids from the wrong kinds of background. We have an opportunity, don't we, to model the grace of God to people in need. Or maybe those of us that are at work, there are people that aren't getting access to us, that we're walking past because they're not in the right hierarchy. You know, we're management and they're too low down. Or maybe they've they've got issues in their lives. Or maybe they're the wrong demographic. We've walked past them. Maybe those of us that are retired, It's about who's in our neighbourhood. Who has not been welcomed into your home because they're the wrong kinds of people? The love of God cannot be constrained. It must be shared. I'm going to ask God to open our eyes so that we don't walk past on the other side. So let's pray together. Father God, we are so grateful that you love the world, every single person on this planet. Thank you that you loved us enough to let... Jesus, your precious son, die for us on the cross so that we could be welcomed into your family. Lord, having received that grace, would you open our eyes to those around us that are not receiving it? Lord, save us from having the kind of religion that ignores the needs of those around us. Lord, give us eyes to see those that need to experience the love of God through us, even this week. Whether that's at school or at work, or at home. Lord, make us agents of your grace. We pray that the fantastic work this church is doing in, its, in the community, Lord, would you bless it, would you prosper it, would you increase it, but would you also help each one of us in our personal capacity to play our part too. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful for your mercy. Would you make us agents of your mercy as we go about our week? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.